Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode 22 of Tate. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. As the title suggests, this series is all about immersive theatre. I chat with all kinds of immersive theatre folk about the work that they do. So without further ado, I will let you get to the chatting part. I'm here at the Colab Factory with Artistic Director of Bacchanalia, is that correct? Bacchanalia, yeah. uh, Zoe Flint. So hello Zoe. Hi. Uh, it's good to have you here with us. It's a busy day because you're about to beta test uh, the piece of work you're working on at the moment. Yeah, it's very busy. Yeah, very busy. So thank you very much. Um, and you've been, you're directing Hidden Figures World War II. That's right. And collaborating with Paul King, uh-huh. um, who I'm hoping to talk to a little bit later as well. Um, so you study drama and theatre arts at St Mary's University, yes, is that correct? Yes, that is. Uh, Brilliant. So I am a relatively recent graduate and uh, it was quite interesting to be uh, to come into the world of theatre uh, not from drama school. Mm-hmm. To come as a university graduate is quite, yeah. is quite different and often not the norm and I think that's quite a... I, I, yeah, I think it allows me to bring something a little bit extra perhaps yeah. to experience. Well that's what I was going to ask you about. So how did you get from kind of finishing and completing your degree in drama and theatre arts mm-hmm. to then kind of working as a director in well, immersive? What was really great theater. about um, my degree is that it wasn't quite so crazy intense for the the whole time so I was able to do quite a lot of work particularly with yeah. um, Owen Kingston who's artist director of uh, Parabolic Theatre. Uh, he and I'd worked together for a long time and I was able to kind of dip in and out of things. He studied he where you did as well, didn't he? Uh, no, he studied did he not? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he went to York University. Oh, it says on his website he studied. Oh. I know. Oh. <laughs> oh. No, no, he, went, he did his first degree in English at York. Ah, um, okay. I, I won't say when. <laughs> I can't remember, but a while ago. And... Um, uh, but because I wasn't on a ridiculously intensive uh, actor training course specifically, I meant I was able to go out and do a few shows yeah. as and when along the same time, which was great because it's meant I've been able to really hit the ground running yeah. once, now that I've graduated. Did you start performing then in immersive pieces? Is that how you a kind of bit, sort yes. of got into... So I, I kind of described myself as a sort of drowned man convert to immersive theatre. <laughs> and that, that was the kind of the, the show that really changed my mind and showed really showed me that this is a way that you could do theatre and um, obviously that finished in 2014 that was uh, when I just started my degree and uh, Owen and I as a sort of it was it started out as a teaching workshop about immersive theatre we ah. built the bare bones of a very small show which be- went on to become Morningstar. I was going to ask you about Morningstar because yeah. you performed in Morningstar didn't yes, you and yes. I, I'm assuming that's where you met Owen as uh, well I, in that I knew process. Him kind of a bit before that but yeah that was when we that was one of the big first big projects we really worked together on um, which really really grew I mean, it started off absolutely tiny in this tiny theatre in Croydon and um, and it really blossomed into something I think we did we've done kind of two sort of professional runs uh, as part of the Croydon Nights Festival yeah. uh, last year and at Colab uh, in the summer, which was great. And yeah, really, really is a really interesting show, especially um, as uh, the, the majority of the show, the, I'm alone with uh, up to about eight audience members. So that's quite, yeah. that's quite an intense experience uh-huh. as, a, as a performer to have that kind of, it's all very abstract and... Um, quite dark as a lot of a lot it draws a lot of uh, themes from like paradise lost yeah and stuff like that so it's quite an intense heavy and how do you kind of show. prepare for that this is always something as well like mm. I have with my students is it's kind of I can teach the mechanics and I can teach you kind of how this 
operates in theory, but it's having those, you know, where, how do you learn those skills of having those people face to face? I think, honestly, it's just practice. You mm-hmm. know, so for, uh, taking morning stars as, as an example, um, uh, so that was a very kind of choreographed uh, show and I worked very closely with the movement director and that was excellent. And so we had a sort of, it was kind of dance, physical theatre based, um, but the audience who you just kind of learn and what was really great about this show is it was actually quite a long time that I spent with them it was uh, about 18 minutes I think it was just me and the group of audience members that before is a long I would take <laughs> <laughs> that is a long time and, but that, you can get to know a group in that time quite well which, yes, was, always, which yeah. was always really great and especially because we gave them a load of uh, stuff they had to wear they had masks and uh like white paper suit, like CSI suits that they had to wear over their clothes okay, and helmets okay. and all sorts of uh, rubber gloves as well. It's very Wonderful. Kind of quite frightening to see these white suits and then these rubber bright gloves. Gl- rubber gloves. And you're like, oh, what's going on here? Um, but it's, uh, it's uh, old Lecoq theory. If you put a mask on somebody, their body opens up and it's like, you know, as, as true as it is for actors, it's true for audience members. Absolutely. And suddenly you think, oh, I can tell that person's, you know, really understanding and connecting with what I'm doing because they're moving in a way. And I am there following me yeah. and it becomes much easier. Do you think that's one of the key know. things that you have to do then is kind of learn to read Yeah, I, I do. I do think people. so. And <laughs> it, especially when you can't see somebody's face or eyes always. Absolutely. Immersive theatre is just done in the dark quite a lot. So you kind of have to get the gist of, from somebody's body language. But you, as a whole, you get a... And as you learn your show, you learn what's a scary moment, what's a lighthearted moment, mm-hmm. what's a funny moment. As you learn the moments and you see how people react... To yeah. the moments, then you can get okay. I'm getting a picture of what this person is going to. And be you're like. responsible. You have this huge responsibility because for those whole 18 minutes, you are entirely responsible for those yeah. <laughs> those particular audience members' experience in yeah. that moment. It's, it's it is quite it's quite a weight. I mean, I think if I was to go into it cold now, that would be a very kind of intimidating. But Morningstar grew and grew and grew from uh, you know a very kind of small like five ten minute thing and as it expanded and we introduced other characters kind of out of the world where I was, um, it really developed into a, like a full performance. And I think that is partly partly what helps. Kind of and was it after performing um, kind of in Morningstar that you developed your own company then? And yes. you started to yes. develop your own work? Uh, so um, I put uh, back and together with a very dear friend of mine, um, uh, I had a weird, weird pause there. I was like, I saw it again. Just cut that bit, that'd be great. <laughs> because he's got, oh, because he keeps changing his name. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started uh, Bacchanalia with a very dear friend of mine, uh, Chris Scanlon. Um, we trained together and we thought, it was getting towards our last year of our degree and we thought, oh, okay, we wanted to go and make theatre. And we, uh, yeah. we planned and we did a small... Uh, Scratch makes it sound like it was 10 minutes long. It was a long show, um, but a kind of a development research show about how we wanted to, the kind of work we wanted to do. So we looked at uh, Greek myths and legends and that sort of thing and some weird design stuff. <laughs> I, I think every show we had about 200 glow sticks. Oh, wow. Which was a, a spectacular, you know, I think if I still mention the phrase glow stick tree, just... <laughs> the looks I still get <laughs> and, and that was really fun and we developed that in uh, February 2017 and we just did a very kind of small performance kind of finding our feet thinking is this something we could actually feasibly do are we capable of making decent enough work and yeah. people really enjoyed it and we thought okay well let's kind of build into something immersive and have a go 
uh, at a bigger show and so that was when we um and Bakai was just obvious to us as our namesake mm-hmm. I thought it just made the most sense and you did that here didn't yes, you yes yes we did that here we did two weeks in November and it was great it was really really fun it was a stressful and brilliant and an absolute whirlwind but yeah we, we did we did really well and especially as phenomenal uh, for Bertie and to give us the opportunity to be at Colab as a mm-hmm. new company this is a phenomenal venue and to have that kind of support was just incredible I was going to ask you about that actually is it's so central mm. to everything that seems to kind yeah. of be happening in terms of emergent alternative yeah, kind of this sort of style that's happening outside of traditional funding kind of streams yeah. so how what have the challenges been for you as a young company to kind of getting this work out there and how central has the collab factory been uh, collab has been to that? a huge a huge benefit you know having somewhere for immersive theatre having the, the simplicity of having somewhere to perform because stuff is often so either site specific or site sympathetic that and you yeah. want to find somewhere that nobody else has been mm-hmm. and so to be able to have somewhere to do a show was just a huge that's that can keep companies stuck for years that understands as well yeah. because i i make one-on-one work which is hugely problematic because yeah producers want bums on seats and yeah exactly one audience member is not great but spaces like this give the chance to yeah you have the opportunity to to, to do that and to test the work because there's there's not the same sort of pressures Mm. coming out of it but do you think that's for me one of the big fears is the transitory nature Mm. that at any moment the developers could sell this building and it's all over and that's terrifying knowing how central it is at the moment it's such a shame to think that you know uh collab factory may uh, as it is right now, yeah, because this is such a. Because already on borrowed time. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> totally. And this is you know such a great building. You know we've got the huge space that you know, with Gatsby at the minute, um, and the basement space, which is uh, incredible in having like a sort of more of a rolling uh, program. It's wonderful, but I think, I think the fact that this has been able to happen once often makes it easier to go and say, well, we've done and this once. Do we've it again, a, yeah. A, you know, a, a business, uh, an arts venue uh, that is successful in uh, yeah. however many ways you want to measure it um, artistically. And um, you can, it's much easier to get a second space once you've already done the Yeah, exactly, the because one. it's been kind of established. Yeah. And I've noticed that actually people are really starting, it's derelict factories and disused yeah, factories absolutely. that seem to be kind of... It all seems a bit hipster. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But I think the London Council is very particularly open mm. to engaging with this, and I don't think in other cities we have the same no, not, not situation. No, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I, I'm from Newcastle originally, and, uh, you know, I've never really quite... I mean, maybe there is now, and I hope, I hope there is now, but of the same kind of way that theatre and immersive events and kind of all artistic stuff pops up out of nowhere in spaces you'd never expect to go yeah. to. I, I mean, I think what's really good about uh, London theatre is it is very pushing in terms of uh, researching and new ways to do stuff and that, you know, eventually... And new ways to engage soon, audiences. Yeah, and permeate through the rest of the UK and Edinburgh Fringe is always a huge kind of help for that as well. Absolutely, although I've had difficulties in terms of the Edinburgh Fringe because of the festival, mm. the way the programming works is yeah. everything's in sort of 20 minutes in, out, yeah. or an hour in, out, which doesn't actually often suit this kind of work well. And yeah. touring is a massive problem with this kind touring, of scale of yeah, work I, too. Because it, it's so, so venue kind of dependent. Yeah. 
but I think the the people I think there there will be uh, you know Vault Festival have done really well absolutely yeah so and you know they've got a phenomenal space and I think in time maybe not in the next kind of couple of years but perhaps in the next five years mm-hmm. uh, Edinburgh Fringe and other fringe places we'll, across the world will uh, start to realise so this is a way that people are yeah. experimenting with theatre. That's what we're about. Because all cities have these industrial spaces that London does. They have places like the vaults. They have these kind of ex-industrial kind of sites that are currently sat empty and it makes much more sense that they're Mm -hmm. kind of populated in this way. I think it'd be such a good uh, thing for kind of arts regionally. It's very easy to get kind of London-centric. Which it is very much at the moment. I'm trying really hard to sort of try and... Absolutely. But it's about... The engagement of councils, the engagement of local authorities, mm. giving permissions for that kind yeah. of of engagement. I guess you just you just got to keep pushing and keep trying. Yeah, and eventually yeah. Keep asking. Yeah. My man always says, it, my nan always says, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So and what? Shy burns getting out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the worst that someone can say is no, yeah. and then you can ask again or try again. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's great, and I think it's going to take young practitioners starting to mm. spread out beyond that kind of yeah. London scene. That's going to start to hopefully bring these things into other cities yeah, which be would great. be amazing <laughs> so you are here at the moment uh directing i am I and am. how did you meet paul king then to work on this uh, project so i met paul uh through owen he came to uh see a show that i was uh acting in uh called keep calm and carry on mm-hmm. uh, which are another world world war ii show I've become the world war ii person. there's like a little there's been like a little enclave yeah, hasn't yeah. it it's been like almost a little season actually yeah, of kind of nostalgia yeah yeah in the collab <laughs> <laughs> a little time nice. warp, yeah, a nice little not? time warp. It's, it's all important <laughs> stuff. And he, he came, he came to this production, and um, I, I was saying, oh, I've got this, uh, the show that's sort of, we've sort of done it before. Mm-hmm. We got some things right, we got some things wrong. I want to do it as uh, a longer run. I'm not quite sure how best to go about it. And kind of, did you, did I want to get involved um, as a director? And I was like, I. Yes. Love to. <laughs> Great. Brilliant. When, when should we start? And um, and yeah, it's just kind of led to this uh, sort of spy training journey that the audience go on and discover um, these really, you know, it is kind of, the title really does kind of say it's about discovering uh, war, uh, war heroes, I guess, for yeah. a lack of a better word, um, who have been kind of lost to the the whitewashing of mm-hmm. history, which is... Such, so it's such about shame. drawing out those kind yeah. of... The stories that we haven't heard and yeah. the figures that have kind of been hidden. Uh, exactly. In that Absolutely. kind of history that and we have. It's so great because, uh, you know, all the actors, they play real people, mm-hmm. which is always, always fun. And the audience are kind of given a character at the beginning. And as they go through, they discover who they who were. Who they are. Okay. And uh, there, there are some really, really surprising ones. I don't want to... Spoiler, but this is always the difficulty, yeah. actually, of talking about this kind of work, especially beforehand, yeah. is trying Spoilers. to give a sense of the work, but also not spoiling it Absolutely. for the audience as well. It's massively <laughs> challenging. It's hugely problematic in terms of documentation as well. It's <laughs> yeah. trying to, I'm like, yeah. ah, can you talk about the work? And it's kind of like, like mm, no. not really. <laughs> can you talk about a, the general gist of the work? So have you been dealing with actual documents then and people's kind of mm. personal histories? How yeah, so has... How have you managed that material in terms of kind of the ethics of uh, engaging with that? I mean, 
it's always, it's always difficult when you're when you're dealing with real people. We've we've tried to be um, as respectful and honouring as we can. We've uh, you know there's a few little bits and timelines we've had to fudge because you've always you've always you've got to make a little what kind of of course tinkering. yeah yeah. Um, but in terms of the characters uh, that the actors are portraying and they're doing a fantastic job, we've really tried to be authentic to these uh, these real lives and the kind of the essence of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, some of this, I, some of the stuff we've just not managed to get just because uh, so much a huge problem with um, World War Two stuff is just the costuming is a nightmare. By the time you've got uh, military uniforms, oh, absolutely, um, yeah, insane. so expensive. And it's like, well, this is the jacket that fits you, so that's your rank now. That's what you're wearing. <laughs> and, um, and so, like, we've got a, a character who um, is a she was a, a nurse. Uh, who, they were known as the Flying Nightingales, and she flew out uh, to France and essentially pick men up off the battlefield and flew them back and she would uh, nurse them in the planes and although yeah. they were uniformed they weren't ranked or anything like that they yeah. were essentially civilians who'd been given an RAF jacket yeah. and were like well <laughs> uh, the squadron leader jacket is the only one that is the one that fits you the best so you're now a squadron leader mm-hmm. but um, the, the essence of that story and you know this, uh, this uh, woman's bravery and um, we kind of reference her um, sort of post-traumatic stress as we would call it now that she'd identified yeah. with that time because she, uh, she uh, said in interviews about you know what it was like for her life and there was a wonderful detail about how when they got back from their flights all the pilots were given bacon and eggs in the morning and she never was and her friend and her were still yeah. outraged at this yeah the kind of the injustice of it and so it's just it's the little details yeah yeah of course kind of make a make up a person's life it's their tiny habits that really begin to kind of shade in mm-hmm. some of the things that you otherwise would just never know so would you say and i ask everyone i talk to okay. about this would you say that it was immersive theater mm-hmm. and what do you think about that term and kind of how do you associate with this project with this project very specifically and then kind of your broader thoughts <laughs> oh that's a big question that is a massive question um, sorry i have tried very hard to make this show immersive immersive theater you know the th- the I, you know, as a director, this is what I've been kind of brought on to bring. I, I know Paul is uh, more into the kind of the bar and the date night experience, and I think we have managed to capture that really well. So I think, mm-hmm. yes, this is immersive immersive theatre. You know, you are immersed in a world, in spy training. This is a world that you would never normally get to see, mm-hmm. and you are expected to participate and lead and be active uh, in each of the scenes while we were rehearsing we say okay we've got these set of scenes that each kind of actor leads we want to make the audience or group of audience the hero and the protagonist mm-hmm. of that scene and I think okay that a, yeah so giving them a, that kind of central way of defining is this immersive theatre yeah absolutely because they are the, they are the story we can't do it without them yes yeah so I'm saying yes this this show is immersive theatre <laughs> however <laughs> that is only one of um, a thousand ways I think you can define immersive Absolutely, and I think in some ways it's helpful because audiences have an appetite for it and Mm. there is a kind of particular association aesthetically with immersive theatre. Yeah, definitely. But on the same side of that, that comes with loads of problems too because the kind of bar is set by a particular aesthetic and way of doing things. And sometimes audiences are expecting that. And of course, just because it's not always that doesn't necessarily mean it's not immersive doesn't theater. mean it's not immersive theater yeah. or not good it's something you know, another it way of to be kind of david lynch inspired 
red yeah. drapery, but you know, when you have that, that's amazing and beautiful. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of, yeah, of kind of scenography. It, it doesn't have to be, but it can be, and I think, yeah. you know, each, yeah. uh, I think as long as each show is kind of being artistically... Uh, it's about an in, yeah, yeah, it's an integrity, I yeah. think, to the role of the audience yeah. in the work. And the show they're trying to create. You know, I, I saw a show at the Battersea Arts Centre that was sort of, uh, it was like a kind of choose-your-own-text-adventure books. Ah, okay, was, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. brilliant, you know, that had uh, no set, or and it was just two actors talking. Mm-hmm. But I would have described that as immersive theatre because Was that I was, the unbuilt room? I can't remember what it was called. It might be Seth Creeble's work. Possibly. Possibly. He's done lots of different iterations mm. of it uh, yeah. at the Arts and at Brighton. Back, coming back quite soon. There is, yeah. I, and I would define that, I mean, maybe they wouldn't, but I saw that and thought, yeah, that's immersive theatre. I've yeah. been immersed in this world. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter that I was just sort of sat on a seating bank. Yes. Because the actors told that story so beautifully. And, and you construct. Yeah, you build it in your mind. Absolutely. And I think that there is that distinction, isn't there? But it's about being put inside yeah. something. And being free to explore yes. to an extent. Yeah, yeah no, but, I absolutely yeah, agree. So um, how long is Hidden Figures going to be here at the Curler Factory? So we're here for two weeks initially, and then we've got a week's break, and then we've got another two weeks. So we end okay. uh, on the first April Fool's Day, I think, is our last day. Ah. Yeah, so that's going to be a fun <laughs> show. <laughs> I have to think of something to do for that. <laughs> Just go and swap everybody's roles or something. <laughs> <laughs> and so in terms of your work uh, with Bacchanalia, mm. what are your future plans uh, so we've things uh, with that. applied uh, to the Nordic Fringe, and hopefully we'll be. Uh, I'd love to take Bakai um, to uh, Gothenburg. Great, a bit of different, bit of fun. Absolutely, and um, it just uh, it just seemed like a great opportunity. And you know, as a young company, and we, we can't really afford to go to Edinburgh and to Bazali. No, probably going to be more more affordable to grow abroad. And uh, that's more and more the case. Yeah, to be honest, Edinburgh just, is so expensive now. Yeah, so it's, expensive. It's, it's crazy, and I love it. I've been to the. I've never gone with a show, but I've been to visit. Been, the yeah, of times, course. And it's, and it's wonderful, and the atmosphere is amazing. But um, yeah, it is. It is. Quite, it can be quite exclusive, I think, in terms of just, you know, if, if you've got a show with six people in it, where you're going to live for a month. Exactly, it becomes um, very expensive in, in kind of that respect. So yeah, it's about kind of sustainability absolutely. and trying to find so we're the resource. Hopefully, be going to Sweden for a little bit. And fingers be, crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great fun. And. Um, uh, hoping I'd love to develop a new show for the autumn if that's got time. We've got uh, plans. Mm-hmm. We're so keen to look at the kind of the epic uh, Greek myth stories. Mm-hmm. I think we've got a. The Shadimadir bear. is my favourite. <laughs> we have. We've got. It's on the list. It's a, few, it's a few iterations down because so I want to be able to do it justice. Yeah. The, I love Medea. Um, I don't we're, doing, we're flirting with doing uh, the Minotaur next. Ah, uh, okay. Quite fun. Okay. I, I know there's a a few other people looking at that story so we're just kind of mm-hmm. dipping our toe in the world and seeing <laughs> what we think but yeah it'll be fun great well thank you I know you're crazy busy today <laughs> so I'm not going to keep you for very long but what is the best way for people to kind of find out what you're doing to keep up with what you're doing uh, so probably our Twitter is the best mm-hmm. um, uh, for Bacchanalia we're back, uh, at Back Theatre um, and we, we do have a website as well it's not 
we don't use it as much, but Twitter's probably the best where we kind of the best way to kind of get hold of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, them shiny and put them it's the case for everyone, isn't it? It takes a lot yeah. longer to update the website, it whereas does. you can get it on Twitter. Like, just I've just done it on my phone. Done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. And so you have your first test tonight. Yeah, um, the last know. thing I just wanted to ask mm -hmm. you really is, what are your hopes? How important? One, how important is it to get audience in? to do this kind of sort of mm -hmm. testing and what are your hopes for the testing tonight? tonight? Yeah. Uh, well, to answer the first part, it is utterly essential we have audience in uh, to test uh, because the audience is the main character. <laughs> exactly, seen. and they're absent through yeah. most of the process. And it's like, well, <laughs> if they're not here, we can't do it. We'll just have to, it'll be well on the right, which is always best to not do. <laughs> Unless you're sure that's what you want to do. It's yeah. best to avoid that. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd love for, I think tonight I'd love for everything to go smoothly technically. It's quite a technical, mm -hmm. um, although it doesn't kind of look about it. There, there's a lot of uh, kind of logistics. I'd like all the logistics of the show to go well. And okay. I, I'd really like the audience to yeah, to connect with these real real world figures. You know, mm -hmm. they discover um, who they are as it goes along, and they uh, when they come back after going through their training experience, they're given a sort of final uh, briefing pack that fully explains their character. Oh, and I'd lovely. Love for I think it's a real win if somebody goes and Googles that person yeah, yeah. Af in the bar or afterwards. Oh, absolutely. And they think, oh, I know about this person that I would have never known about before, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, I think that would be a real, real win. And certainly when Paul and I talked about what we wanted this show to be, that was definitely the kind of, we know we've succeeded when that happens. Yes. Well, I hope everything goes really well tonight. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And if you are listening and you are interested, then get on Twitter. And also, if you look at the Collab Factory website, all the latest listings, ticket links, all of that are on there as well. So thank you very much, Zoe. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It would be great to hear from you folk listening out there all across the globe. So do get in touch if you just want to say hey. Or if you want to share your thoughts in a more comprehensive way, you can tweet me, which is at Tate Podcast, or email me directly, talking about immersive theatre at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook. We have a page, or you can message me directly. So, just a little update on news Vex, which is my performance company's latest show, The Story of You and I, is going to be part of Bread in the Bones International Performance Festival, which is called Dreams Before Dawn. And that's going to be in Paris uh, between the 2nd of July and the 8th of July. I don't know exactly which days we're going to be presenting the work on yet, but again, I'll update you next month as things progress with that. So until next month, uh, do get in touch. If not, then you'll hear my voice again then.